0: This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope that you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. And we'll read a few verses together from verse 18, following down to 24. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Think of all the people that's involved in the Advent story. I think that Joseph must be the most understated, the least appreciated and the most poorly recognized for the major role that he played. Somehow this quiet, unassuming, godly, hard-working man is only thought of as a bit player in this drama that is the nativity. Out of all the men in Israel, God could only choose one to be the husband of Mary and therefore to be the legal guardian of his only begotten son. He would have to be Jesus' earthly protector. He'd have to be his fatherly and manly example, role model. he would have to be a great husband. He would need to be a hard-working, honest, honorable man with integrity, a man that would be highly thought of within his community. He would need to be an industrious, laboring man. He would need to be all of those things but above all he would need to be godly and he would need to be a man who loved God and was willing to be obedient no matter what the cost. And so God looked for such a man and he found him in Joseph. Joseph was of the lineage of David. Far back, away in his ancient past he would be Of royal descent. He could trace his roots right back to Israel's greatest king. But over the centuries, David's lineage had fallen into hard times. And so that's why we find this man, Joseph, now he's just a a humble carpenter living in this backwater town, Nazareth, Nazareth in Galilee. A provincial town in the north, in Galilee, far from Jerusalem in the south. It seems an unlikely choice that God would use a humble carpenter to be the stepfather, as it were, of the king of glory. And that's why it says in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. Apostle Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 1. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. What was God looking for in Joseph to entrust him with this wonderful ministry? He was looking for integrity, for character, For uprightness, for humility, for honesty. And if God wants to entrust us with ministry, with calling, with tasks for his kingdom, that's what he'll be looking for in us. He'll be looking for graces, not gifts. He'll be looking for attitude, not aptitude. He'd be looking at her hearts rather than her hands. Above all things, character. And this is what he found in Joseph. And so Joseph had an immense thing to carry out for God. Bigger than he could ever imagine in a million years. That God comes to this humble, lowly man. And he chooses him. I think that gives us all a little bit of hope. That God can use even us. The lowliest. Even the uneducated. God can use us. Matthew 1.18 says Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Now this betrothal or this espousal was the Jewish order of marriage. And it took place over three stages, basically. first stage you may call the engagement. The marriages in those days were by and large arranged marriages. In fact, many times still in the Middle East there are, and even in India, there are arranged marriages. And for the most part it seems to work out quite well. And what would happen is that the parents, both sets of parents, would get together, and they would discuss their children, and they would match up. And very often at a very, very early age, and they would come to an agreement. When they grow up, she will marry him, he will marry her. And so they're spoken for before they've even met each other, even when they're very young. But that's the way things were done. And then when they came to a certain age, very early teens, there was a more formal part to this espousal or betrothal. And that would be a contract would be drawn up and maybe wine would be drunk and a dowry would pass hands. so, a, a, a little ceremony, a little informal kind of a ceremony would take place. And that would signify that at some point in the future, it could be up to a year's time, six months, nine months, or a year, then that they would come together more formally. But this second stage, this betrothal espousal stage, actually counted as if they were already married except the marriage would not be consummated. It would be a time they would get to know one another, and they'd be chaperoned. But as far as it was concerned within that community, they were as good as married. They would be counted as husband and wife, even though the formal ceremony hadn't taken place. In fact, if you read very carefully there in Matthew chapter 1, Just to prove the point, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Note this, verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband. This is before they actually got married. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, so forth and so on, until you get down to, it says, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you, marry your wife. And so that's how serious this was, that at that point, they were as good as married. And in fact, the only thing that could separate them now would be divorce. That's how strong this agreement was between them. And then, there would come the marriage proper. And the marriage proper would take place where the (coughs) husband, quote-unquote, he would go with his friends. And they would be called the friends of the bridegroom. And he would make his way in a procession. And it would usually be at evening time, and they'd have torches. They'd make a procession to his, quote-unquote, his wife's house. She'd be living with mom and dad. And then she would, he would take her back to the house that he had prepared for her during this intermediate period. And then and only then would the marriage be consummated and then they would be truly married. And so this was a procession and it was a, a stage thing all along. Now, the story begins here whenever Mary and Joseph was at the second stage, the betrothal stage. And it's at that point when Mary drops the bombshell. It must have took a little bit of courage, and it must have took a little bit of time for her to pluck up the courage to actually go and say to Joseph, Joseph, I am pregnant. I'm expecting a baby. What a shocker. And not only that, Joseph, but the angel Gabriel, no less, came to me and told me that I was going to have this baby, and he would be the son of God, and I would still be a virgin. That's a bombshell, isn't it? How Joseph handles this. Will show us the measure of the man. It will reveal to us exactly why God chose him to be the husband of Mary and the earthly guardian of his only son. Sometimes the will of God is baffling. Sometimes the will of God is a bit like a tapestry, and you look underneath the tapestry, all you can see is those little threads hanging down, but you can't see the top you can't see what it actually has made. Or like a jigsaw, all the pieces are in the box, but you can't put it together because you haven't got the lid with a picture on it. And sometimes the will of God, for a while, is very baffling. And this must have been extremely baffling to this man. Imagine her telling him that. This is Joseph's dilemma. What would he do? There's no question he loved Mary. He absolutely loved her. He only had eyes for her. Probably for years, maybe from there were children growing up, he knew this would be the one. He trusted Mary. She was of impeccable character. She was a godly young woman. Do you know that Later on, whenever she bursts into that great song of praise, the Magnificat that's called, you know that she quotes by memory 23 Old Testament verses in that one song? So here's a young woman who was godly, who was steeped in scriptures, who was a pure lady, all of that there, and now she's telling him she's pregnant and it's not his. The angel Gabriel came, God says, This is the Son of God. I mean, that's tough, isn't it? This is a real dilemma. What kind of dilemma? Is it a miracle issue? Is it a moral issue? Is it a mental issue? Is this really a miracle, he's thinking? Could this really happen? I mean, this is unheard of. I mean, there's, not, there's nothing in the Old Testament to compare by this. There's nothing to go by. Not like raising the dead or a blind man saying, I mean, this is just way out there somewhere beyond his human comprehension. Or is it a moral issue? Is she lying? Has she made up this story? Has she went out and cheated on him and then made up this super spiritual story about an angel appearing and hoping he would just believe that? Or is it a mental issue? Is for some reason or other that she has lost her mind because this is just beyond comprehension, isn't it? So what is he going to do? This is a serious Serious problem. And it gets even worse. Because if she really is pregnant, according to the law of Moses, she could be stoned to death. Adultery was a stoning to death offence. And even worse than that, he would have to publicly expose her, and then he would have to be the first one to cast the first stone Do you remember when Jesus was in the temple, how they dragged that woman caught in adultery in the very act and threw him at the feet and says, the law says she should be stoned. What do you say? Remember he said, he is without sin, cast the first stone. So this is a real dilemma. This is a serious, serious problem that he's got. What is he going to do? What do you do? And if he just goes ahead and marries her, then everybody will think he's the culprit. And his whole character, his whole reputation, because he's a godly man, he's a good man, he'll be the talk of the town. So that's Joseph. That's his dilemma. What's his decision? He wanted to do the right thing. He wanted to do it in the right way. He wanted to do it for the right reason. He couldn't bear to see Mary being stoned to death and him having to cast the first stone. It's just out of the question. He loved her. So what does he do? He can go to the Word of God. Deuteronomy 24. Write a bill of divorcement. Even though God hates divorce, because of the hurt that it brings. But it was permissible. Even though God hated it. But he could have wrote a bill of divorcement. And, and in the end, he thought, well, I love Mary, but I, I, can't believe, I can't just believe her. I really cannot believe her. This story she's told me is just too far-fetched. But I don't want her stoned, so I'll just write this bill of divorcement and I'll just quietly put her away privately. I'll get on with my life. She can get on with her life. She'll not be stoned. I'll not be blamed. I think that's what I'll do. Now, remember at this point, God hadn't spoken to Joseph up to this point. He's totally and completely in the dark. Wouldn't it have been easier? Wouldn't the simple solution have been in the first place if God had sent the angels to both of them at the same time? Wouldn't that have been easier? There'd be no misunderstanding. There'd be no confusion. There'd be no anxiety or worry or wondering what to do. It would have been simple. He'd have been there. She'd have been there. The angel would have come, set them down and said, Now listen, folks. Here's the data. This is what's going to happen. Just want you to know up front, there'll be no surprises. Joseph, you'll understand perfectly because I'm telling you, I'm an angel. You'll see me. That would be the simple thing. But God didn't do that. God deliberately chose to keep him in the dark for a while. To test him. To see what he would do. And that's why I say sometimes the will of God for a time is baffling to us sometimes it doesn't make much sense and in those times you can almost be certain god is testing you to see what's going to come out see what you're made of will you believe will you trust or will you become angry at god and bitter and cynical and hard-hearted God wanted to test his spirituality. His ability to do the right thing was right on the line here. So Joseph made his decision. And then in verse 20, Joseph's dream. An angel came to him in a dream. It must have been hard for him to sleep, you know. it lot in his mind. Whenever you're going through stuff in life, it's hard to sleep, isn't it? But you probably toss and turn for night after night after night until you're just exhausted. And then you just flake out. You're just so tired. And I got the feeling that that was Joseph. He just got into bed one night and he he was just exhausted. (coughs) And when he had fully fallen asleep, suddenly he had this dream. And the angel appeared. And told them exactly what to do. Don't be afraid to take unto you Mary, your wife. Everything is all right. This is of the Holy Ghost. She's going to have this baby. You will call his name Jesus, he'll save his people from their sins. This is all the will of God for you, Joseph. God has spoken. That would sustain him. That would sustain him from all the gossipy tongues that would happen. And they did happen. That would sustain him with all the misunderstanding and all the unbelief that was going to happen, and it all happened. That would sustain him through all the times, even when there was more children came along, and Jesus had siblings, and none of them believed this. This would sustain Joseph. God has spoken and he could live with it because God had spoken. The truth was that Joseph would have to live the rest of his life with this hanging over his head, this business of Mary getting pregnant before they got married. This would always hang over him. In John chapter 8, In John chapter 8, in verse 37, Jesus again is going face to face and head to head with his critics. In verse 37, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. And they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, listen to this. We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Hmm. We were not born of fornication but you. You're the illegitimate one. That's exactly what they were thinking. That's what they were saying. So all the way growing up, when Jesus was growing up, Joseph had to live under that cloud. But he was sustained because God had given him his word. He'd come to him in a dream and explained everything. So no matter what people would say or think, He knew the truth. So through Mary, a child was born, a son was given. This son would be the saviour of the world. And Joseph had the privilege of raising him up. And what a privilege that must have been. Seeing the child grow up and then training him and the art of carpentry. Johnny, really, that's a noble art. When you do the same work that Jesus did on earth, can't go wrong. Sure you can't. <laughs> and so the boy Jesus grew up in the carpenter's shop. And Joseph, every day, would teach him all his skills. Would teach him honor, integrity, Honesty, doing a good job. You know, there's a story in Second Samuel chapter 6 when the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen by the Philistines and there came a point where David and many of his men went to take it back. It was in the house of Abinadab. <coughs> he had two sons, Azza and Abihu. And so they made a new cart, and they put it, the ark on it, they set out to take it back to Jerusalem. They got to a threshing floor, and when they got there, the ark began to wobble, and Noza put up his hand and touched the ark to stop it. And God was angry, because that's the equivalent of touching his anointing. Touching his presence in an irreverent way, it says. And God was angry and smote him dead on the spot. And David was frightened. He was scared stiff. What are we going to do? How are we going to get this ark back to Jerusalem? Because if he had read the scriptures before that, he never would have done it that way because the ark was to be carried on the shoulders of four men with Two staves. So they decided, there's a man called Obed-Edom, the Gittite, who lived nearby. And he says, well, we'll put this in the house of Obed-Edom until we figure out what we're going to do. And it was in his house for three months. And the Bible says that during that time that God blessed Obed-Edom and all his house. Three months it was there in his house, representing the presence of God. And God blessed that dear man and all his family until David came back and they took the ark back the right way this time. If God blessed Obed-Edom for having that wooden ark in his house, how much more did he bless Joseph for having his only son for 30 years in his house? You can be sure he was a blessed man indeed. She'll call his name Jesus. That's the Greek. Joshua or Yeshua is the Old Testament equivalent. It means God, our Savior, or God who is salvation. So all that period growing up, both Mary and Joseph knew that this is the Savior, the Messiah. Not just of Israel but of the whole world. What a privilege, what an honor, what a responsibility, what an awesome job to do, to look after the Son of God. We don't know how, when, why, or where Joseph died. The Holy Spirit draws a veil over that, as he does many things. The Bible works on a need-to-know basis. God tells us what we need to know. So there's no point in speculating. But Joseph played his part well. That's the main thing. He fulfilled his role with great dignity and he found his place in history. For 2,000 years, preachers have been talking about this man. And they'll talk about it until Jesus comes. And God calls us to play our part. To fulfill our role, whatever it may be, in his kingdom. And to do it with dignity. And to do it with honor. And to do it with integrity. So that we too will be mentioned in God's roll call of faithful servants. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He'll never call any of us to such a spectacular role as that. But whatever it may be, he's looking for all of those features he found in Joseph's life that he can entrust us. You may say, well, I have just, just a bit part in God's great scheme of things. God thinks differently. Whatever part it is, it's every bit as important as somebody else's part. And we're called to play that part the best that we can with God's grace and God's help. <laughs> Not everybody's going to be public. You know, Johnny said to me this morning, and I forgot to say, whenever we did all these refurbishments, we talked about the cost of it. Oh, Johnny said to me, you know, David, and he's right, absolutely right. He says, so much of it is on scene. All the pipes underneath the floors all the cabling that's in that roof space and in behind those walls that you never see. But all of it was necessary to make it work. And so your role may not be public, but it's just as important as those who are in the public eye. God thinks differently than we do. So whatever it is, however small a part you've got to play, play it with the best of your ability so that you'll be one of God's faithful ones. That's all he asks you to be, to be faithful to him and to his calling and his role and his task in your life. And if you do that, you'll be blessed indeed, amen? That's right. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for such a man as Joseph. We thank you that after all these centuries, he still fascinates us. And we can learn from his life so we bless you tonight and we thank you for your great grace and we thank you lord for entrusting us with the part that we have to play thank you lord that you saw something in us that would work and in your grace lord you give us that opportunity and so lord before we looked at was in her hands you looked at was in her heart And we thank you for that. And so Lord, help us to do the best that we can do to fulfill our role in life and to be faithful servants of the Most High God. Thank you for sending your son. And thank you for sending him to ordinary people. Lord, that encourages us tonight. So we bless you. And we praise you for who you are. We thank you that you're the king of glory. You're no longer that little babe in a manger. You're seated on a mighty throne. And one day you're going to come back and rule the nations. So we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or even download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.